Hey guys, welcome to Calves Online. We've got a special treat today. Lindy and I are away and uh, we're going to be listening with you guys wherever we are. We're going to be out in the Hunter Valley just having a time to ourselves. And we have a special guest teaching today and his name is Stephen Lindemann. If you don't know him, he is Julie Dean's dad and Michelle Lindemann's dad and Dave's father-in-law, obviously. Um, he's going to be sharing with us the word, so I hope you're really blessed by it. I can't wait to hear what Steve has to say, and thank you, Steve, for, for filling in for me. It's a great blessing to me and my family and to our church, so I just want to say thanks for that. Um, again, to reiterate the announcements shared last week, we are in the process of finding people interested in hosting 10 to 20 people as home fellowships listening to the sermons together and then sharing food with one another and getting to know each other. So we're going to have a sign-up sheet for that. And once that's established, we're also going to have a sign-up for those that want to go to a particular place to fellowship. And I think it'd be quite fun to mix that up. Um, but you're going to have to sign up so that we line up with COVID-19 protocols so that we're above board, that we honor the king, we honor the land, we honor the desire that the government has for us to overcome COVID-19 issues. And so um, that's the plan. And I want to encourage you to get on board, do it. You know, be a part of what we are as a group of people that are like-minded. We love the word of God. We love going verse by verse through the Bible. We're in Romans and we're loving Romans. We're loving what God has said to us concerning the doctrine of salvation and what that looks like practically. Now, let's get together as a group of people enjoying each other's company. And if you can't make it, still join us online and be blessed by the study. But I really encourage you, sign your families up to get together with other families and other people who want to get to know you and who you want to expose your life to. It will refresh your week. It will be a great time. You will refresh others and it will be rich. And most importantly, God will be honored. So bless you, Steve. Thanks for teaching. I look forward to listening. Well, hello. Um, my name is Steve Lindemann. Terry has asked me to step in this week to uh, give him a, an opportunity to take a bit of a break. Uh, for those that don't know me, um, I have two daughters who attend Calvary Chapel in Newcastle, uh, Julie Dean and Michelle Lindemann, and my son-in-law, David Dean, as well. My wife, Dina, and I have uh, visited uh, your church many times over the years, and we're um, yeah, very fond of you guys and feel like we're an extended part of the church family. So it's my pleasure today to be able to uh, hopefully minister to you uh, in some small way and that uh, God might uh, use me to speak some, some of his truths in a way that I hope um, is helpful uh, for you. Uh, so why don't I pray, and then uh, we'll get stuck into it. Father, we just uh, thank you so much for your love for us. Uh, thank you that uh, you are supreme creator over all and that you are in charge of all things of all times, no matter what is going on around us in this world. And as crazy as things might seem to us, Lord, uh, we know that um, from your perspective, all is as it should be. And we just pray and ask that you help us to rest and be at peace in the knowledge that you are in charge. Just pray now that you will uh, calm our hearts, um, Lord, that you will help me to speak clearly, 
and that the, uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts uh, will glorify and honor you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, um, today's talk I've called Living in the Last Days, The Consequences of Indifference, and hopefully that will make sense as we get into it. Uh, thank you very much. My wife and I in particular have been thinking about the last days uh, as world events have been unfolding, and I think the Bible encourages us all as Christians to think this way. So uh, that's partly the thesis I'm going to propose today, and uh, we'll see where we get to with that idea. There are two main passages that I'll be using for today's talk. So if you've got your Bibles there, uh, we'll be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, and then also 1 Corinthians 15. There'll be a couple of other uh, quick references to some other passages, but those are the main two uh, that we'll be using. So uh, just keep those handy if you like to follow along in your own Bibles. So I don't know about you, but since the onset of COVID-19, I have never spent so much time watching the news, checking my phone for the latest updates and alerts, checking websites. Um, It's just been crazy. So much time and attention for myself, my family, most of the people I know has gone into tracking what's happening with this virus. The last time I can recall being this caught up with current events was quite a long time ago uh, in the weeks and months after 9-11, the 9-11 attacks in the U.S. That was, uh, to me anyway, uh, also an all-consuming period in history. However, I know some people uh, who have taken the opposite approach. They've chosen to avoid the 24-hour news cycle and are spending their time contemplating more positive and uplifting matters. You could say they are striving to be more heavenly-minded. While it would be difficult for me to ignore current events completely, I can see the wisdom in minimizing the impact of all the media hype and hysteria. Which is the best approach in life? Do we have a responsibility to be on top of world events, striving every day to make this world a better place? Or should we just let go and let God? Let him take care of business. Should we keep super busy working in the community, trying through our own efforts to save mankind one good deed at a time? Or should we be more like the monks of old, as far removed from this corrupt world as possible, hiding away in our ivory towers? Before we get too carried away pointing fingers at others or feeling bad about ourselves, let's see what the Bible has to say about what it means to be heavenly-minded. Does it have to be one or the other? There are many Bible passages that address this issue in a variety of ways. But as I mentioned before, today we're going to take a look at 2 Peter 3 and 1 Corinthians 15. Most Bible scholars believe that 2 Peter was written not long before the apostle was martyred. He was writing to Jewish Christians who had been under tremendous persecution, primarily at the hand of Nero, one of the most evil of all the Roman emperors. Life was bleak. Many of them were disheartened and discouraged about the future. Some had lost all hope. Let's pick up our reading in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. I'll be reading through verse 15. 2 Peter 3, 1 to 15. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, 
Knowing this, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they, the scoffers, deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will be melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Peter's primary purpose in writing this letter was to warn Christians to be wary of false prophets, some of whom were denying Jesus. In chapter 2, the chapter before the one I just read, Peter describes the evil intent of these false prophets and the divine judgment they will eventually face as a result of spreading their deceptive heresies. Chapter 3, the passage we're looking at today, describes another damaging heresy that Peter said will be prominent in the last days. We read it in verses 3 and 4. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, quote, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. End quote. Simply put, these false teachers were saying that Jesus was never going to return. They were essentially what we would call rationalists. Their argument against the second coming of Christ was based on the false idea that all natural phenomena have operated uniformly since the beginning of the earth. In other words, Mother Nature is in charge. The false teachers were implying that God is absent from earthly affairs and earthly matters. We should not believe in supernatural events. We should simply just focus on the natural world around us and stop holding out for any divine solution to the world's problems. There are numerous passages in the Bible that contradict this heresy and confirm that Jesus is indeed coming back, initially to receive his own through the rapture and subsequently to judge the world. To dismiss or deny the imminent return of Christ is a heresy with profound consequences. In 2 Peter 3, 1-2, Peter makes clear his concern about the effect this heresy is having on the scattered 
persecuted Christians to whom he was writing. This is what he wrote. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. In short, Peter was concerned about the effects that indifference toward the return of the Messiah could have on their faith and on their conduct. The believers were forgetting the sound teaching previously given by the prophets and the apostles, putting them at risk of falling for the lies of the false teachers and the mockers. We see this today, don't we? The loudest voices in the world mock the very existence of God, let alone the truth of the Bible. The media, prominent scientists, teachers, celebrities, the most influential voices in our society, they're united in their denial of Christ and his gospel. Sadly, much of the so-called Christian church has been sucked into this satanic lie. Many churches spend more time promoting worldly philosophies and moralistic platitudes than they do the pure and simple gospel message, which is captured very nicely and succinctly in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In many modern, supposedly enlightened churches, the Bible isn't referenced at all. Peter goes on to outline the impact that this indifference about the return of Christ can have in the life of the believer. Indifference about Jesus' return can lead to, one, indifference about personal godliness, and two, it can lead to indifference about the unsaved. We're going to look more closely at these two points in a few minutes. Before unpacking them, though, let's take a look at what Peter has to say about this idea that God is not in control. Before driving home his exhortations to combat the destructive effects of indifference, Peter debunks the rationalistic philosophies that were circulating in the early church. In chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, he reminds his readers that God is not bound by what we perceive to be the natural world. God created the universe. He created it by his spoken word. He spoke and it came into existence. He also destroyed much of the world through Noah's flood. Again, through his word. In both cases, the laws of nature were completely under his divine control. In the same way, he will come back to once again judge the earth and all its inhabitants, simply by his spoken word, as is graphically described in the book of Revelation. This was not new teaching. They had simply forgotten the truth. They were seemingly distracted by the fake news of their day. While on earth, Jesus spoke in great detail about his imminent return and the pending judgment to come. You can read about this in what is called the Olivet Discourse in in Matthew 24 and 25. Paul also wrote about it a number of times, most notably in his letter to the Thessalonians. One Bible commentator estimates there are approximately 300 references to the second coming in the New Testament alone. Even the prophets of old spoke about the day of the Lord and the coming judgment. There are dozens of prophecies about the end times throughout the Old Testament. Some years after Peter's letter was written, the Apostle John was given the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation clarifies much of the end times prophecy found in the Old Testament, and most particularly in the book of Daniel, providing a detailed sequence of events. This most incredible and sadly ignored book starts out with the following statement, the beginning of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, 
the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Do you think God is trying to make a point? Is this not an important topic for God's people to study and contemplate? It behooves us to not only refrain from indifference about Jesus' return, but to proactively study what the Bible has to teach us about the end times. To drive his point home, Peter warns his readers that indifference about Jesus' return can first of all lead to indifference about personal godliness. Peter is keen for his readers to stay alert and stay focused. Some of them were obviously falling into patterns of sinful behavior. Isn't that typical of us as humans? From the time we're able to reach the biscuit tin on the counter in the kitchen, or find the spare keys to the family car, as soon as mom isn't looking, or we think dad won't be home anytime soon, we're reaching for those cookies, or taking the car out for a joyride. Listen to what Peter says in verses 10 to 15 of 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, which the heavens will pass away, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our brother, beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Essentially, what Peter is saying is we don't want to be caught with our hand in the cookie jar when Jesus comes back. Some of the people in another church, the Corinthian church, were living a very ungodly lifestyle. One of the heresies that infiltrated their church was the belief that there is no resurrection. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to dispel this false idea, making the point that to disbelieve in the resurrection, and by extension to disbelieve in the return of Christ, would naturally lead to a life characterized by self-indulgence. Let's look at our second main passage now for a little bit in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll start by reading verses 32 to 34. Paul wrote, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. This is a stern and sobering warning we should all heed. We need to be careful of who we associate with and what worldly ideas or vain philosophies we entertain. Fundamentally, if it contradicts or undermines the Word of God, we should run away from it. We live in a time where the whole world seems to have come under Satan's deluding influence. From the time he rebelled against God and deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Satan has been peddling the ultimate lie that we can be our own gods, and we can determine what is right and what is wrong. His ultimate deception is that there are no moral absolutes. Anything goes, and anything should be tolerated, except, of course, for the Christian message that condemns the world's sin. 
It's only a matter of time before each of us will be faced with a choice. Deny or confess Christ and his message, which plainly says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Doubting, or worse, denying the Lord's imminent return is simply not biblical. It is a slippery slope we must avoid. Think about it. If we doubt or deny the imminent return of Christ, it opens the door to doubting whether or not Jesus was actually resurrected in the first place. This is not a new danger. It was prominent 2,000 years ago in the Corinthian church. Listen to a bit more from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 to 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But Jesus did resurrect from the dead. As Paul detailed earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Christ. Many skeptics have set out to disprove Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, only to be convinced and converted by the evidence they found. One of the best recent books that I read a few years ago is called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, written by Nabil Qureshi. Nabil set out to prove Islam and ended up accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I highly recommend it. Other classics include Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, which has been turned into a movie in recent years. Another book called Jesus Was a Jew, written by Arnold Frutenbaum, was written with a Jewish audience in mind and is an excellent apologetic regarding the truth that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah of the Jewish Bible. I highly rec- recommend them all to you. Let's go back and see what, Paul ha- what more Paul has to say for us in Corinthians. He has some significant things to say in verses 20 to 25 about the significance of Jesus' resurrection. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. With faith in the saving work of Christ comes the responsibility to be faithful in how we live for Christ. Paul concludes this amazing section with this entreaty in 1 Corinthians 15:58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So with these words from Paul and the words we read earlier from Peter, let's live each day like it's our last, looking expectantly for the return of our shepherd, being found faithful in all matters of conscience and behavior. Our motivation toward good deeds is to please Jesus, to bring glory to God and to store up treasures in heaven, sending on ahead that which does not perish, that moth and rust cannot destroy. Turning back to our 2 Peter chapter 3 passage, we can see that Peter has a second concern about the consequences of indifference. He is concerned that indifference about the Lord's return 
may lead to indifference about the lost, the unsaved. Let's pick it up at 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. But do not let this one fact do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It seems that Peter's readers may have lacked a sense of urgency about sharing the gospel. It's not difficult to understand the logical connection. If we don't believe Jesus is coming back anytime soon, or worse, that he may not be coming back at all, then we're less motivated to share the good news. We don't think that it's as important to share it with those who don't yet know him. Jesus' brother, half-brother, Jude, emphasized this point in his brief letter. In fact, Jude quotes directly from 2 Peter, confirming that the false prophets, whom Peter prophesied about earlier, had indeed come and were spreading their heresies about Jesus. This is an amazing example of Scripture confirming Scripture. Picking it up in Jude 17. You don't need to turn there. I can just read it for you. Jude, Jude verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, In the last time there will be mockers, following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. If Australia develops the COVID vaccine first, would we urgently share it with the world, or would we just keep it as a national secret? Well, as Christians, we have the vaccine for a disease called sin, which leads to eternal death, a much more serious ailment than COVID-19. This sense of urgency is a major theme in Paul's letters. Paul captures the imperative of evangelism in 2 Timothy 4, Romans 10, and 2 Corinthians 2, just a few places that we'll reference today. There are many others. I'm going to read out just some of the key exhortations that Paul wrote, leaving you to reflect on the bigger context later on. So just a couple of verses from each of those three references. First, 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and instruction. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Could have been written yesterday. Romans 10, a couple of verses from Romans chapter 10, just verses 14 to 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? 
How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Finally, one last excerpt from Paul's writings. This one from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads that fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. If we believe the truth of the gospel, that Jesus came to earth to live the perfect life, to die for our sins, to rise again, to ascend to the Father in heaven, and that he is coming back soon to make all things right, if we really believe this, then we should feel compelled to tell other people about it. Today we have seen that there are dangers for Christians who neglect or dismiss the imminent return of Christ, and there are blessings for those who eagerly look for his coming. Peter makes it clear in his first epistle that there is much joy waiting for those who persevere and for those that stay focused on the Lord's return. Reading briefly from 1 Peter 1, 6-9, you can just listen as I read it, 1 Peter 1, 6-9. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So is it wrong to be concerned about earthly matters? Is it wrong to monitor world events? Is it a waste of our time and resources to try to make the world a better place? Not at all. The question we need to ask is what lens are we looking through as we see the world around us? What's the attitude of our heart? Do we watch the unfolding of world events with fear and anxiety, or worse, maybe apathy? Or do we see the world through the eyes of Jesus as a place in desperate need of a Savior? In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. We need to keep looking up with our eyes on Jesus, watching for and expecting his return. Paul encourages and exhorts us with these words in Colossians 3, 1-5. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So if you are troubled by the gravity of world events, remember that the Lord is coming back, 
and he's coming back soon, and he will make all things right. Don't listen to the naysayers or the false teachers who promote a worldly, rationalistic view, spreading satanic doubt about the Lord's life, sacrificial death, resurrection, and his imminent return. Rather, recognize that each day that the Lord tarries is for the sake of those whom have not yet responded to his divine call of election. In the meantime, we should, one, strive for purity and godliness so he will find us ready to receive him. Two, keep sharing the good news of the gospel with a sense of urgency as it is the only true remedy for the sickness of this fallen world. And three, encourage one another with amazing hope as we look forward to being united with our Lord and Savior forever. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul wrote, Do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him, him forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. James, in James 5, 7-8, wrote, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's not fall into the trap of complacency. It's good to be heavenly-minded, even while we seek to serve the Lord each day as we eagerly await his return. I'm going to give Jesus the last words today. Let me close with some words that he spoke to us, his church. His final revelation in the book of Revelation. His last recorded words in Revelation 22:20. Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come.